0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: All right, and a happy Tuesday to you. We had a little surprise rain earlier today here in Atlanta. Kind of nice. I'm kind of digging that. Uh, I'm also digging the fact that I can sit outside and eat, and the mosquitoes aren't tearing me up, and I'm not sweating It's simmering in my own juices. I love this time of year. Why? Well, because it cools off back to what spring-like temperatures were like, but without the congestion and runny nose. And and we found out last night in the news that a lot of the uh, decongestant stuff that is on the shelves, the -the over-the-counter stuff, doesn't work anyway. So, um, great. Spring will be even more fun. So, let's get right to the headline of the day. That would be the impeachment inquiry that... House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has decided to launch into against President Joe Biden. Here's his press conference from earlier today.
2: Welcome back, everyone. You know, the months that we were gone, in the weeks, House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct.
1: They provided no such evidence of that, but they believe they have something or evidence of something evidence have yet to provide but all right let's hear him out
2: taken together these allegations paint a picture of a culture of corruption Uh now here's what we know so far through our investigations we have found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls.
1: Eyewitnesses, not evidence. Go on.
2: And had multiple interactions. Dinners resulted in cars and millions of dollars into his son's and his son's business partners. We know that bank records show that nearly $20 million in payments were directed to the Biden family members and associates through various shale companies.
1: We've yet to see these bank statements because they don't provide them. But maybe in the impeachment inquiry, they finally will. I mean, nine months and lots of learning who the hell James Comer is later. We still don't have this stuff, but maybe in the inquiry, we'll get it. Finally.
2: The Treasury Department alone has more than 150 transactions involving the Biden family and other business associates that were flagged. As suspicious activity by U.S. banks.
1: By the way, had lunch a few Saturdays ago with a friend of mine who works in finance and banking. And having transactions flagged internationally is way more common than any of us are even aware of. But okay.
2: Even a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family.
1: Alleged being the operative word.
2: Biden used his official office to coordinate with Hunter Biden's business partners about Hunter's role in Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company. Finally, despite these serious allegations, it appears that the president's family has been offered special treatment by Biden's own administration. Treatment that not otherwise would have received they were not related to the president
1: i find that really funny coming on the heels of a trump presidency that vehemently used executive privilege to keep himself and those in his orbit out of even testifying let alone in the crosshairs of any prosecution
2: okay kevin these are allegations of abuse of power Uh obstruction Uh and corruption that's funny And they warrant further investigation by the House of Representatives. So maybe some evidence. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public.
1: Wait, so did you hear that? They're going to finally start gathering facts for the American public. Finally, we'll start gathering some facts for the American public. I mean, I don't know what the millions of dollars, taxpayer dollars that have been used by uh, James Comer and company for the last nine months have been doing. But now they're finally going to start gathering facts. Okay,
2: That's exactly what we want to know. Mm -hmm. The answers. Sure. I believe the president would want to answer these questions and allegations as well. This effort will be led by Chairman James Comer oh,
0: okay. at
1: the
2: Committee on Oversight <laughs> in coordination with Chairman Jim Jordan oh, God. for Judiciary Committee <laughs> and Chairman Jason Smith on Ways and Means. Now, I do not make this decision lightly. right? And Regardless of your party or who you voted for, mm-hmm. these facts should concern all Americans. Mm-hmm. Wait. He
1: keeps saying facts. Without bringing evidence to make statements factual.
2: He's also forgetting the word alleged or allegedly. The American people deserve to know that the public offices are not for sale and that the federal government is not being used to cover up the actions of a politically associated family. Again, we
1: just came out of the Trump presidency. How much did Jared and Ivanka make? Oh my God. <laughs> they didn't want... In fact, they did everything they could to make sure we didn't investigate that. But we have all this allegedly there, there, that they're going to give us. We've yet to see. But finally, in this impeachment inquiry... I mean, good looks, and I'm happy that they're getting to this point, honestly. I think it's an abuse of the word impeachment because it's literally just an inquiry, not hearings. It's not an impeachment proceeding. It's just a, well, we're going to finally maybe start putting some dogs and ponies in this dog and pony show so maybe we'll finally see some fur but will we
2: now i would encourage the president and his team to fully cooperate
1: oh that's refreshing i'm sorry where was this guy from 2017 to 2021
2: for real though with this investigation in the interests of transparency oh my god we are committed to getting the answers for the american public Nothing more, nothing less. Right. We will go wherever the evidence takes us. Thank you very much.
1: So, Will the evidence finally take us to this logical conclusion if there is no evidence that there is no reason for this impeachment inquiry and that the inquiry will close? Or will we just get more clips of Jim Jordan word-sounding us behind a desk and an open microphone to just keep kicking this notion into the air. You have to understand something, okay? First of all, in the 2020 cycle, I was not in Camp Biden. And anyone who listens to this show on the regular knows I have my concerns about a Biden re-election campaign when polling suggests he's not looking too good, when he is in his 80s, well into his 80s by the end of his second term. And the polling seems to reflect some concerns about that as well. When he gives us Moments like yesterday, speaking about being at ground zero the day after 9-11 when it was actually nine days after 9-11. Listen, I'm willing to give him a pass on that. It's, you know, one day, one week, you know, the day after, the week after, whatever, fine. That's, you know, that's fine. A a misstatement on the fly, on the cuff. We, We all do that sort of stuff. How many of us say the other day and then come to realize the other day was like two weeks ago? It wasn't the other day. That happens. I would feel a lot more at ease if the Democratic Party, or at least I knew that the Democratic Party, had some sort of a shadow campaign operation going, or at least a plan in place, just in case. Because, listen, it's not morbid to think like this, right? Man's in his 80s, for crying out loud. We need to have a contingency plan in place. Maybe, And that's the other thing. We are the purveyors of democracy, we say, although in Atlanta, the city of Atlanta seems to be saying otherwise. We're the purveyors of democracy, and should we not be giving the American people, at least in the Democratic primary process, options. I saw an article, an opinion piece in the Washington, or no, it was it was in a New York magazine. The headline, something along the lines of, kind of curious that no major Democratic candidates even taking a stab at this. I say all that to say, if there is something there, if there is a lot of there there, first of all, I would have thought that like over the last nine, ten months, investigation's been going on all this digging and the laptop and blah 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 don't you think they would have by now come running down the halls before a podium and eager media and flapped the evidence in our faces or had a big placard in some congressional hearing of some sort to show us what they have i don't think it's there but i also know that this little tactic that kevin mccarthy is 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 Playing right here just pleases the MAGA base within the House of Representatives. But if they don't have anything, if they have nothing more than what they've said, eyewitness testimony, eyewitnesses, we are hearing from these people, that's not enough. There's got to be evidence. And if you don't have it, you're not going to have the votes in the House. The, the, The House, again, GOP has a razor thin majority. And a lot of those folks who are in some of those purple swing districts they're not going to vote in favor of an impeachment because they're fearful of losing the seat they have that's already in tenuous grasp to begin with. So this is just much ado about endangering and causing damage to Biden's poll numbers, which are already not good, which brings me back to some of my concerns as a voter heading into 2024. My point is, I firmly believe, I really do, that this is nothing more than a political tactic but if they prove us all wrong and there is evidence, then by all means do whatever you need to. Again, as a realist as a leftist realist I see the poll numbers and if if Biden's guilty then then maybe that'll be what makes the party realize all right we got to switch midstream. I said all along, I really think Joe Biden should have been a one-term president from the jump. He should have gone in guns a-blazing, knowing it was a one-term thing, and been that old man planting seeds for trees he shall never enjoy the shade of. But what I actually think is happening here, again, political tactic, I think they are preying on the fact, P-R-E-Y, preying on the fact that Joe Biden is a loving father, maybe even a little too much, but when you consider he has lost children before he's passed away in tragic scenarios, you're damn right he is a loving father. He loves his son, Hunter Biden, his embattled, his imperfect, his prone to mistake son, Hunter Biden. And if you ask me if they know that there's no there there, and yet they're doing this as a political stunt, knowing Hunter's issues knowing his internal battles and knowing that Joe Biden has been nothing more than a loving father if they're doing this knowing all of that and still conclude well we got to take advantage of that that's a weakness it's repugnant it's disgusting you would think it's beneath the dignity of a major political party in this country but as we have learned over the last two decades or more there is no floor for how low the Republican party of the modern era will go. You do realize this is butter her emails all over again though, right? More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Tuesday. So the GOP, again, dog catches car. They're gonna get their impeachment inquiry. The Marjorie Taylor MAGA Jim Jordan wing James Comer wing of the GOP is getting what they want out of their leader. I say in air quotes, Kevin McCarthy. Here is Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene talking to CNN earlier.
3: I'm very excited to see it happen. I think Americans deserve truth. They deserve transparency. And we need this investigation to go as long as it needs to, to uncover all the corruption that has been involved in covering up Joe Biden's crimes.
1: So notice she, by the way, didn't say allegedly or waiting for evidence or any of that. She told another reporter it may go all the way to the November election. You don't say. Mike Collins from Jackson, Georgia said, accountability is coming for the Biden crime family. (laughs) No, listen, I could get upset that they're saying this sort of stuff, but I'm actually kind of happy that they're owning the nonsense. Seriously, the Biden crime family? Congressman Collins? But you're breathlessly defending the last guy in the Oval Office with his 91 indictments. But, but it's the Biden crime family you're concerned about. Oh, okay. Own that, man. Own that. By the way, I'm also going to use Marjorie Taylor Greene to show, shock of all shocks, some GOP hypocrisy here.
0: Listen to this exchange with a reporter. To clarify, is the inquiry open right now? Are we, I mean, is there a vote that's going to be taken in the House of Representatives? What what do the next steps look like? That's
3: a great question because there's some confusion. Mm. There's two ways to open an impeachment inquiry. The House can take a vote or the Speaker of the House can announce and start and open the investigation. He can open the impeachment inquiry. That was a precedent set forward by former Speaker of House Nancy Pelosi. And that's what he chose to do today. And I think it was a great, bold move.
1: So she mentions that being a precedent, but I also seem to recall that there was a tweet that a fella put out a fella by the name of how do you say this Kevin McCarthy Oh it's Kevin McCarthy. Yeah back on September 24th 2019 719 p.m here are the facts he says Number one Speaker Pelosi can't decide on impeachment unilaterally. It requires a full vote of the House of Representatives. Number two, the House has voted three times on articles of impeachment. Each vote failed. Number three, for Dems, this is all about politics, not about facts. The Internet never forgets Speaker McCarthy. More from Maggie Taylor Green on the steps of the Capitol and uh,
0: with that reporter exchange. Where do you see this ending up? Do you see this ending in removal from office for President Biden? Do you see this going even to a Senate trial, making out of the House of Representatives? What's nope. the ceiling for this?
3: Well, uh, what I actually want to see is I want to see a very deep dive, a detailed investigation, no matter how long it takes. And it may take months and months. Um, it may go all the way to the November election But what we need to do is we need to investigate Joe Biden, but we also need to investigate the web of people that exist in our federal agencies, the FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, and many others serving not only in this administration, the former administration, and the one before it. Maybe even further, we need to find the people that have covered up Joe Biden's crimes and all of the Biden family's corruption. That's what's most important to me because I really do believe in gutting the federal government of corruption, and this is the way we can start. For the
0: average person sitting at home, they see this, they think maybe this is kind of close to the 2024 election. Is this, I mean, once for all, is this politically motivated? Yes.
3: Absolutely not. It's not politically motivated at all and the American people at home know one thing that they're suffering under the Biden administration with a wide open border, an invasion of illegal immigrants, Over 85,000 migrant children missing. Over 300 Americans dying every single day from fentanyl. They can't afford their electric bills. They can't afford their gas bills. They can't afford uh, groceries. That's what the American people know. And they know that politicians like Joe Biden, who's been in this place in office for over 50 years, have gotten richer and richer and richer. Every every year they're in office and they know why. And I'm really excited we're doing this impeachment inquiry because I believe we're gonna expose the truth.
1: So should we check on Marjorie Taylor Greene's net worth in the last four years? Should, should we do that? Do, do you think Marjorie Taylor Greene has gotten richer and richer and richer since she has escalated herself into a congressional office? Would you like to guess Marjorie Taylor Greene's net worth growth? I mean, I mean, if we're going to play that game, Marge, let's play that game. Well, hell's bells. That is an easy Google. According to Forbes... Marjorie Taylor Greene's net worth has grown from $9 million in 2019 to $16 million in 2020, $31 million in 2021, $44 million in 2022, $56 million now in the year 2023. That is a growth of $45 million in net worth. Her growth in net worth is six times what it was in 2019. The other laundry list of issues that she likes to rail on, those are issues that cannot be dealt with without a complicit Congress. And with one chamber controlled by the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene, there's not much that can be done with our immigration issues. The GOP has no appetite whatsoever for dealing with inflation, although on its own and under this president's economic advisement, This nation actually fared better with inflation than most of the industrialized world, and inflation has slowed back down to the crawl it was at prior to the COVID post-pandemic spike. The oil prices, again, mostly out of domestic control, and a lot of it having to do with what's happening in Ukraine and with Russian embargo. This from CNN last month. Critics accused President Joe Biden of waging a war on the oil industry that is hurting consumers at the gas pump. And yet, on his watch, U.S. oil production is poised to shatter all time records set during the Trump administration. Next paragraph, U.S. oil output is now projected to rise to an average of 12.8 million barrels per day this year for the first time ever, according to federal estimates released Tuesday. For context, next paragraph, that's about half a million barrels per day more than the prior annual record set in 2019, It's also more oil than any other country on the planet produces. The next closest nation, Saudi Arabia, which, by the way, has been throttling back production because that's what they like to do when they like to meddle in our politics, produces about 10 million barrels a day, according to OPEC. Next paragraph. The looming milestone undercuts the argument made by some 2024 GOP presidential contenders and Marjorie Taylor Greene, that the Biden administration is strangling the oil industry with red tape. I mean, aside from the Russia-Ukraine situation and OPEC restraining their supply, you know what else is a leading cause for gas price spikes? Extreme heat that sidelined refineries. That's right, y'all. Climate change. Climate change is actually impacting gas prices and making it harder for the fossil fuel industry to continue exacerbating our climate change problems. And the political issue is the cost of gasoline. Oh, America. Please wake up. More Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, americanradio.com
0: or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: I have said this for a few weeks now, if not longer. Here in Georgia, the Democratic Party is going to have an awkward scenario with grassroots activism. And it's going to be interesting to watch it unfold. Let's remember that there was a time when Occupy Wall Street dominated news headlines, nightly news for a long time. Because finally, it seemed, we saw a populist movement where people were showing their outrage. Literally by camping out in the global capitalist capital city of New York to say, y'all, what's working for you, the few, is not working for the many, the most. And we kind of quietly swept that under the rug. President Obama was president. So Democrats had to do the awkward, we kind of hear you, and we kind of want to tinker with some things, but not fix it completely because it would not be politically expedient to do so. And uh, does this whole cop city thing not feel somewhat similar? Never mind the economic populism strain that's still showing it. You still feel the undercurrent of the Oliver Anthony song, right? We feel that undercurrent of... uh, Okay, Democrats are going to run for re-election and try and uh, embrace Bidenomics, and, and I get the good part. I do. I get the good part. It could have been a lot worse. I just said that last segment. Inflation could have been a lot worse. Gas prices aren't really anything that the president can deal with, and domestic output is higher than it's ever. You know, all those good things, but it it doesn't it doesn't undo the fact that the common man, the common family, the the, the kitchen table issues. Uh, the the, the cost of living is affecting American sentiment and their familial budgets. And then this cop city thing is just a complete snub of the grassroots movement that Democrats, particularly in a swing state like Georgia, are going to want to rely on. And today's uh, jolt column at the AJC sort of covered what I've been talking about for a few weeks. I'm a little concerned about what the mood's going to be like. The headline says, Angry activists say Democrats continue to, quote, turn their back on us. Today's jolt column, by the way, written by Adam Van Bremmer, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, and Tia Mitchell. And the lead, the muted response, From Atlanta's top Democrats, after Republican Attorney General Chris Carr indicted more than five dozen activists on racketeering charges over their efforts to block the proposed public safety training center infuriated the project's opponents. Now, the city's refusal to verify, still at this hour, to verify tens of thousands of signatures from those hoping to force a public vote on the project has some threatening payback in upcoming elections, not just in local contests but in next year's White House raise and statewide contests in 2026. I'm going to keep reading from that column at City Hall and in interviews. Demonstrators warn that liberal voters in Atlanta are being taken for granted. Mary Hooks of the movement for Black Lives, one of the chief organizers of the referendum movement, said activists who, quote, spend cold months in December fighting for Democrats have been let down. She said, as voters, we are not going to forget I think it's going to be hard-pressed for us to continue to show up for Democrats in this state when they continue to turn their backs on us. Hillary Holley, a great Instagram follow, Hillary Holley, uh, that's two L's, A-R-Y, E Holley, H-O-L-L-E-Y, a veteran in Georgia politics who currently serves as executive director for Care and Action, warned that elected leaders in Atlanta are, quote, betraying basically every single organization that helped elect them. She said, instead of Atlanta Democrats allowing voters to decide, they're using voter suppression tactics to silence over 100,000 constituents ahead of a very hard 2024 presidential cycle. This is a slap in the face to voters and those who worked hard to get Democrats elected and politically dumb. Oh, she's not wrong. I'm a little concerned about this not really being politically wise. few hours later, the column continues, the voting rights group founded by Stacey Abrams added its voice to the chorus in a scathing statement. Keonti Stewart-Reed of Fair Fight Action accused Atlanta leaders of, quote, following the same tired anti-voter playbook that has been wielded against voters of color for generations, she said. The column goes on to talk about how a lot of the vitriol is aimed at Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. And uh, of course, you know who helped whip up the 11 to 4 city council vote. Uh, going back to the column, but others have criticized Democratic senators John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, Atlanta residents who have navigated a tricky political balance over the issue. Both raised concerns about the arrests of people linked to protests, but stopped short of directly opposing the training center's construction. Warnock saying, "I think the choice between public safety and justice is a false choice, and not one that we have to make. I support law enforcement." I support the right of people to have their voices heard in this conversation. I'm going to do everything I can as a U.S. senator representing the people of Georgia to make sure the people are safe. What does that mean, though? Does that mean, with regards to the referendum, seriously, what does that mean? Even when Congresswoman, my Congresswoman, Nakama Williams, tweeted She spoke with Mayor Andre Dickens, and they share some concerns about the voter signature match process that the city is kind of sort of going to employ once they do start reviewing these signatures. Okay, they both share concerns about it, but the city's still going to do it. Cindy Battles, the policy and engagement director for the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, she tweeted, and I I shared this because I've been saying this for a while myself, the same Democrats who are actively thwarting the will of voters regarding Cop City or are staying silent and are therefore complicit, will be begging these same voters, activists, and organizations to get out the vote in order to, quote, save democracy. In other words, vote for them in 2024 and beyond. She followed that up, but we'll remember. This is one of the reasons why I needed to be talked off the ledge when I reached out to Andrew Heaton from Sagamore Hill Consulting. He, of course, a Atlanta resident and political consultant This conversation came up just last Friday. Remember this? How do Democrats in a swing state like Georgia, heading into the 2024 general election cycle, how do Democrats turn to activists who have been busting their asses this summer to get referendum signatures on petitions? How do Democrats come to them and say, uh, by the way, we need you to rally behind us and our platform and our candidates to stem the Donald Trump
0: tide? yeah you know I think in the immediate I don't I think they're gonna to have to wait a while for that conversation or or they're going to have to approach it in a, in a different manner because you're right a lot of those activist organizations a lot of those groups those groups that signed on to the letter talking about the signature match issue there are I think 40 or so groups that signed on and a lot of those are exactly the activist groups that are going to be needed when it comes time to GOTV for for Biden in 2024. It's folks like New Georgia Project. It's folks like Fair Fight. It's folks like Potter Latinx. I mean, you know, these are the, the groups that they're going to need. And and a lot of those leaders have signaled like, you probably shouldn't talk to us for a while about GOTV because we're not in the mood to talk about it. And and so I think it is going to take some of these electeds and some of these folks starting to just engage early and have conversations and say, look, you know, here's here's where I stood, here's why. And just be honest and frank about it. I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of those groups will come back uh, and and will still eventually, you know, kind of do what needs to be done because they'll recognize there's something larger at stake. Um, You know, like they tend to do and like most of us in this space tend to do when it gets to close election time, because no matter what our emotions are, for the most part, everybody tends to let it go or, or at least move on for the moment. To, to tackle the issue at, at hand. And I think that'll be true again when it comes to the election. But I think some serious conversations are going to, and some frank and honest conversations are going to have to be had over the next couple of months to, to get them back feeling in a space that are, they're ready to work again.
1: My man Andrew talked me off that ledge because I felt a lot better after what he said. But that was what he said last Friday. And activists and organizers who literally did the bucket brigade to bring the boxes from street level up the winding stairs to the city clerk's office, only to be told, we ain't counting these, and then tape them up and put them in a closet. They're pissed. They have been made to jump through any number of hoops, only to be told, oh, well, actually, that was the wrong hoop. Here's this hoop. Oh, and we need to do it with your eyes closed and one hand tied behind your back all these
0: impediments,
1: all these obstacles that the city of Atlanta run by liberal Democrats has been hastily erecting before activists. Just put the damn thing on the ballot. Or, or Betty, at this point, I realize, listen, they did all the work to get the, verify the damn signatures. What is this? Now, you understand what's happening here, right? Originally, the activists had until August 24th, and then they got an extension because of the extenuating circumstance of the city saying that no non-resident could participate in collecting the signatures. Well, that made absolutely no sense. Why shouldn't someone who isn't a resident be allowed to hold a clipboard and pass it around? Any, I mean, the, the, the facility is outside city limits, so why couldn't somebody from, I don't know, DeKalb County where the facility is, why couldn't they participate in at least collecting the signatures? That was asinine. And a judge said so kind of stupid. Anybody that is from the state of Georgia at minimum should be allowed. So they extended the deadline because of that ridiculous head scratching, you know, issue that the city had with who was collecting the. So they extended the deadline and then the folks who were leading the referendum, the petition drive, they took the extra time they had. And then there was a stay. And now then there was the question of, well, wait, how how are you going to cure these petitions? How are you going to vet them? Well, we're going to use signature match, the city said. And the activists were like, uh, wait a minute. Y'all are all Democrats. And the state Democratic Party fought, and with the national Democrats, by the way, fought really hard against state Republicans for using the exact same tactic to suppress votership. Uh, you're going to use that? So, yeah. Now there's the question, well, it's after August 24th, so... Maybe we don't even have to accept these, but we'll hold them for you. (laughs) Okay. I know I sound like a broken record when I say this, but oh my God, the city is losing the narrative on this. And the longer they keep playing this game, these tactics keep being employed The more sentiment seems to be with those who are against the public safety training facility in the first place. Just cure the petitions. Make sure everybody that signed it, or at least the 58,000 plus that are needed, are there. They're verified. Get this on the ballot and let the people decide. If you have. It in your mind and in your heart, the belief that the city needs this, that it's good for the city, that you have a fantastic plan and a vision, and please don't don't give us that video you rolled out a couple weeks ago, because that ain't going to help you. If you truly believe that this facility will be a, a, a boon to the city, will make the city safer, will make citizens feel less under military control, even... If you can convince your voters of this, then you have nothing to fear by putting this on the ballot. The reason I firmly believe that local elected officials are scared of putting this on the ballot, why they're not just uh, letting uh, city lawyers, but now... Reaching to outside counsel to scrutinize these petitions to try and keep it off the battle as much as possible. The reason they're doing this is because they know exactly what I'm telling you. They have lost the narrative and cannot get out of their own f***ing way to wrest it back in their own control. So they've just decided we're going to be the bad guys. We're going to be the really good bad guys at this. And we just want to keep it off the ballot. And then we'll hope when our seat comes up for reelection, Mayor Dickens, City Council folks, we're just hoping that they're not going to do the work of seeing if I was one of the 11 that voted for it. And that, you know, as as I think Democrats are trying to think it's going to, Andrew Heaton said it, oh, I think enough time will have passed since then and cooler heads will prevail and we'll all be back around the same campfire singing Kumbaya. Shoot. I don't know, man. How about when they were delaying or denying even just approval of the petition format? Three times in two weeks. How about the time that they... Remember when, when the city clerk's office in City Hall kind of closed early on a Friday unannounced? In that process? Yeah, oh yeah, good times. That was funny stuff. Ha ha ha. You got us. And by the way, let me be clear about something. I don't think I have ever said on this show. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I don't think... I, I think I know how I feel about this... If the referendum comes to a ballot, I think I know how I'm going to vote. I don't know that I've actually vocalized that on this show. I do know this. The more the machine really wants something and is forcing it down our throats without our input, the more I'm susceptible to thinking, why do you all want that so damn bad? You know what I mean? I'm skeptical and I get more and I think that's exactly why they're afraid of putting this on the ballot. I think they know that more folks think a little bit like me in that regard. Why do they want this so damn bad? Why are they like working so hard to keep this off a ballot? Why do they not want us as Atlanta citizens to weigh in on this? Why are they so hell-bent and determined to keep us from weighing in on this? And why is it just a fait accompli in the minds of the mayor and the majority of city council and all these corporations who donate to the Atlanta Police Foundation, what? Some, somebody's gaining out of this, right? The skepticism just grows and the questions mount in the minds of a citizen of Atlanta just like me. And that, in my mind, is why they don't want this to go to a ballot initiative. More Ron Show after this. Last segment coming up. On the America One Radio app, Radio.com or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron show for Tuesday and indulge me, if you will, in some sports ball talk. (laughs) By the way, if you haven't caught on to this at some point in time, however long you've listened to this show or podcast, I happen to be gay, but I also happen to be a football guy, a baseball guy too. Love my Braves, love my Hawks, Atlanta United, I'm a sports junkie. I absolutely love sports. I can talk sports with just about any of my straight friends. Some of my straight friends can't talk sports at all. Actually, I just wanted to note a couple of things. Uh, one, we learned uh, late last week that Carl Paul Nassib, Carl Nassib, mm, six foot seven, thirty years old, kind of a dark ginger, handsome, mm, good-looking dude. I'm just, uh, oh. Also a defensive end who played for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the, uh, what are they now? The Las Vegas Raiders. I had to remember, he also played at Penn State University, All-American. And no, when I say that, I mean like he won an All-American honors while playing uh, at Penn State University. Anyway, six foot seven, two 245, a smile that'll make your knees buckle, ladies, fellas, well, gay fellas. He announced his retirement. He is the first NFL football player, the first openly gay NFL football player to play games in the NFL while people knew he was gay. So he's a bit of a trailblazer. He's also got a man who looks nothing like me, so I'm not his tight. Anyway, just thought I would celebrate the career of the first openly gay NFL football player to play while openly gay. And we we get so caught up in the one-step-forward, two-steps-back approach of uh, liberal politics or social order, civil rights. But, man, we have really come a long enough way that the fact that he came out was kind of a ho-hum. The fact that he retired, kind of a ho-hum as well. But he's a trailblazer, man. That is a... Tra- and Did I mention he's a really good-looking dude? Good grief. I mean, he's like 19 years younger than me. It would never work. But, hmm. Nonetheless, uh, Carl Nassib retiring, and I wish him and whatever his other friend's name is. Jerk. Uh, I, I wish them well in whatever uh, their future endeavors may be. I certainly hope that Carl will somehow maybe uh, use his platform to encourage LGBTQ plus youth to get out and play. I know that's a bit of a taboo subject, especially amongst uh, the transgender community who want to play uh, at the scholastic or interscholastic level, but I certainly hope that Carl will use his platform. Uh, and his position of privilege, he has a position of privilege to encourage others uh, who are growing up in the LGBTQ plus spectrum to get out and play. And to know that you being gay or lesbian, bisexual, transgender, doesn't mean that there can't be a place for you at the highest level of sport. Again, politically taboo, right? Uh, also, yesterday being nine eleven, going to also mention the commemoration. I would say of either a hero who was gay or a gay hero by the name of Mark Bingham. Mark Bingham was one of the folks aboard United Airlines Flight ninety three who fought against the hijackers on September eleventh of two thousand one. What we didn't know. Immediately, was that Mark Bingham, a then 31-year-old public relations executive, who was a rugby player at the University of Cal Berkeley, was also a gay man, an icon, eulogized by then-Senator John McCain of Arizona, became a cover story and Person of the Year in the Advocate magazine. It's a uh, national gay and lesbian biweekly magazine. He inspired a website, markbingham.org, and there is now a permanent memorial in his honor in the Castro, which is San Francisco's infamous gay neighborhood. Why is this important, you ask? Well, there was a New York Times article about him, and the then editor-in-chief of the Apostle, Judy Weider, said, when you ask what difference does it make if the heroes were gay, I say, I agree with you. That's precisely our point. They were just like everybody else. So we ask, why is it that when they died, they were equal to everyone, but had they lived, they would not have had the same equality as heterosexuals? Remember, this was in 2001. It wouldn't be until the year 2010, when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was finally repealed. And ironically, the same Senator John McCain who eulogized Mark Bingham filibustered debate for ending Don't Ask, Don't Tell and fought to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell and allow for openly gay military service in our military branches to the very bitter end. A standalone bill passed the House by a vote of 250 to 175 on December 15, 2010, and a final Senate version passed by a 65 to 31 vote. President Obama signing the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell into law December 22nd, 2010. Those brave heroes on Flight 93 didn't have time to ask, well, is it okay if he joins us because you know he's gay, right? Heroes just went into action. Nine years later, a needless barrier to allow any hero spring to action if they so chose to do so was removed as well. And 13 years later... We just shrugged because an NFL football player who happened to be gay played while being gay and just retired. But I'm tipping my hat to him and to Mark Bingham. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you for listening to The RON Show. Oh, and Carl, if you're ever single, call me.